0: to it. Crack the remote, punch it and crack my book punching down whatever it was in. not a huge fan of I don't know where I was going I looked like i was running and start to talk to someone I
1: don't know
0: what I was doing I tell you what Matt we don't get much by you that's for sure
2: Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is holding the high line. You just listened to our new intro for season six. I hope you liked it and the quotes that we had out of context that was super fun. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023, and it is snow, classy go cold outside in Denver, Colorado. The United States are, she believes, champions again, thanks in no small part to some Colorado natives. MLS has a new playoff format and it's messy and I'm upset about it and the Colorado Rapids are back as Raman Frazier and company will be looming in Seattle this weekend I'm joined now by the other two parts of the greatest three-man midfield in holding the highline history Rabbi Mark Goodman and Joseph Samuelson
0: what's up people it's great to see you all it's great to see Joe Joe's rocking a Grateful Dead shirt he's got a scarf wall in the background matt's got his new apple tv scarf on and i am just sitting in my basement in a cardigan sweater freezing my kishkis off
1: how are you joe <laughs> i'm doing good i'm obscenely jealous of this apple tv scarf which somehow <laughs> a, a copy of which has not made it uh yet to my house i don't know who i need to call about that but i feel like i feel like i need to have one
2: of those and i feel like uh, like you know I feel like I deserve an Apple TV scarf, honestly. (laughs) Um, So... I would agree with that, Joe. Let me see what I can do about that as the managing editor of Burgundy Wave, as long as we still exist here, folks. <laughs> next um,
0: five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so, so on that note, folks, um, if, if you're not following us big on socials, I should say um, we've been sorting out what our future is with Burgundy Wave. That sorting out period, that transition period, has extended through the month of March. So we will be Burgundy Wave at BurgundyWave.com as a part of SB Nation through the home opener and the first other couple games of the season we now know for sure that Vox will not be allowing us to continue within their platform, just not being supported financially or anything like that. So, you know, Mark, it's one thing for a soccer team to, I think, tell a player, hey, like, we're not paying your wages anymore. And it's another thing to say that, like, the marginal costs of you showing up and needing to wear a shirt and getting, like, physio ed help and, like, having, like, body armor and sunscreen and cliff bars and a banana in the locker room is no longer worthwhile so we're trying to figure out what that future is i'm not entirely sure we'll hopefully have you an update for you by march 31st at the latest but fun banter topic guys since i mentioned us being the three-man midfield rabbi i assume you're jack price in this analogy as the old head Um, and the (laughs) the beard yes um uh joe do you want cole bassett or do you want connor ronan in
1: this situation Matt, I think your hair color means that you have to be Connor Ronan.
2: that's true. Irish International. I would have to take him, I guess uh or or do I take Ollie Laraz in this situation? Well, I'm a starter, and Ollie LaRoz isn't starting for' he will be, he'll be starting for Rapids 2, probably, but um okay are are you happy with being the Cole bastard of the trio tonight, Joe?
1: I think I have a little bit um more facial hair than Cole does, but um
2: I think i I think we I can- all have more facial hair than Cole does to be. fair. <laughs> yes, no, it's it, it's fitting, though, because like you're occasionally on the podcast and everything. We haven't seen you in a while and everything. You're here with something to prove and everything. Very cool. Bassett-y vibes in here. We'll we'll see if you begin Joe goal, I suppose, by the end of the night. Um, okay. <clears throat> uh, where do you want to get it? Um. What what preseason news do we want to start with first, folks? Um, we've got Marco Illich obviously signing. We haven't podcasted since that happened. Um, the Rapids lost their final preseason friendly in Orlando by a score of four to one to Philadelphia Union. Or Joe, do you want to give us some some Rapids two and some Beaudry updates?
1: Yeah, I mean the the sort of ins or I, I guess you know random news uh, from the Rapids Academy is that a uh, sixteen year old Adam Beaudry um has been alternating starts uh with uh Duran Ferry of the uh San Diego Loyal for the US uh U17s at the CONCACAF Championship uh down in Guatemala um at a stadium where uh the Rapids played uh last year um and currently or as of the most recent US game Uh, They are through to the semifinals, which means they have qualified to the U-17 World Cup, which is due uh, to take place in Peru this November. Um, Beaudry did not start the uh, quarterfinal match, but he started one group stage game in the round of 16. And um, the pattern here is that he's going to going to start the semifinal. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how that hands out that that match will take place on friday the 24th two days from when we're recording this um and listen like he's been he's been good he didn't he didn't uh keep a clean sheet in his first group stage game um it was a really well taken strike from uh trinidad youngster uh that went across goal and he just couldn't he couldn't reach the ball but uh and he didn't have to make a save in the round of 16 so it's been a um i guess a relatively smooth sailing overall um won both of his games and uh he's probably gonna stay he's probably gonna line up in goal uh this friday so uh hats off to uh the rapids academy youngster uh you know who has been having who, who started for the first who actually played with rapids two once last season um and is expected to sort of move into that team over the over the next few months
2: Rabbi Beaudry wasn't really on my radar until maybe around 18 months ago, maybe when we, they started having conversations about him with Rapids, too. I have the general sense that maybe they think the long-term trajectory for him as a player is maybe a little bit better than Abrod. I think that's the fact that Abrod, I think, is still listed at five foot nine, so it's probably as tall as he's going to get. Rabbi, you're closer in with the spreadsheets, and what did Brian Crookham tell you one time in 2017 at U-17's training that you attended and everything? Do you have any other insight on the pedigree, the background of Beaudry?
0: Man, very little. Um, you know, honestly, he didn't really splash on the scene until the August 2022 20, call-up for um, the U-17 training. And um, before that, I mean, the the thing is, um brian crookham to his credit likes to be pretty cagey i mean you you remind me that i need to do my annual call to to brian crookham to have a have a convo or maybe just take him out for scotch uh or ice cream i don't know what he's into but anyways um i usually in the old days when i lived in colorado i would kind of like plop down in his office like once per year and just hang out which was fun um sometimes we would do it out on the soccer field um and sometimes I would just interview the, the, the coaches uh, and see what they were thinking. But anyways, usually at that age level, like this U16 below level, they don't talk much because you don't want to put pressure on kids that age. Um, they just show up at tournaments and do their thing. And the talent scouts evaluate them and then decide to throw them on the youth teams. Uh, you know, the, But I think that... The, The thing that's complicated is is normally a player of that age, it's really easy to make bad assumptions about, like, limited data. Matt Hundley, like, jumped on the scene. He just showed up and started banging in goals. Uh, He wound up getting a youth national team call-up. And then all of a sudden, um, he got signed by the Rapids. And then he stopped producing goals. And he wasn't doing much of anything. Um, And Matt Hunley is kind of back in the wind and, you know, kind of like off the radar once again. Imagine that situation with young, young players and then double that up with goalkeepers, because the unknowns about goalkeepers, I think, are all the more so that we don't really. It's really hard to pick out like a young, young goalkeeper. Um, Gaga Slonina for Chicago is something of an exception Sometimes there's physical freaks in the goalkeeper world, you know, just really long tall guys with ridiculously good reaction time, but there's a ton of intangibles to being a goalkeeper of like you know learning positioning and knowing when to claim and and you know knowing how to pick out a, a long diagonal pass or how to start out of the back and confidence and all the many different aspects and it takes like a decade to develop those skills it's just really hard to know whether a young 16-year-old goalkeeper is, you know, having a really great, you know, three months with the youth team or whether he's really the next big thing. I think it'll be a good sign if he gets called up to the World Cup this
1: November. Um, I'm not entirely sure how eligibility works with the U-17s and I'm not sure when he turns 17 and if he would be eligible or, um, but, you know, assuming he was, assuming he's eligible in November, I think it would be a really good sign if he is more than just a flash in the pan, right? If he if he gets called up for the World Cup,
2: I would agree. Joe Beaudry's birthday is in April, so he'll turn seventeen before that. So again, I'm not sure. Is that as of January one? Is that for the start of the tournament? I'm not entirely sure. Those rules are somewhere. Probably. And we haven't looked them up. Um, two last things that I'll say, uh, Mark, since you brought up Matt Hunley, and I forgot about Matt Hunley this time last year, the Rapids actually waived him. And yeah. according to Google News, Wikipedia and Transfer Market, there's no rumblings on him elsewhere. Yeah. I think it's a valid question. What if any uh, soccer career he has after this, certainly at least within the American pyramid outside of like Rando Nisa team or maybe a USL two team or something, given it's been a I calendar mean, year
0: yeah i mean will vint is a similar situation but like you have if you wanted i could go you don't want me to but if you wanted i could go back through my entire spreadsheet of prospects the rapids had um you know made buzz about who amounted to nothing and when i say amounted to nothing i'm sure they're having wonderful lives doing important things um working good jobs and You know, having good lives that do not involve professional soccer, just like me, Matt and Joe right here, who do not make our livings as as professional soccer players. But, um, you know, the the professional soccer
2: kind of gig did not work out for them. Two last things on Rapids, two folks, Ali LaRoz and Gustavo Vallecia have been with them in training and participated in one of their recent friendlies as well. I would imagine Ali LaRoz is probably going to start the season as the starter for Rapids 2 in midfield next to Yosuke Hanya. That'll probably be a good opportunity for him to get in some rhythm after he obviously has not played a game since the fractured tibia, fractured tibula, broken... The, the leg injury that had him have surgery, and then he missed the rest of the year for the most part. And then, and then I think maybe Vallasia is an indication of where he is in the center back depth chart compared to some of the other guys, other than Abuba Carcada, who's still rehabbing. Obviously, Joe, your take from this past summer that he might have been a panic buy, I think increasingly is looking good, but let's not give up on the uh, Peruvian Ecuadorian. Let's Ecuadorian. not give up on Ecuadorian. Let's not give up on the Ecuadorian just yet. <clears throat> Listeners, last friendly. The Rapids played in Orlando, was ultimately a 4-1 loss to the Philadelphia Union in what was effectively three 45-minute periods. It was mostly a starting 11 from the Colorado Rapids, save for... Um, Jack Price and <clears throat> Diego Rubio who did not participate in this game whatsoever depending on what Sam Nicholson's role was in this game guys I think it was either a 4-3-3 or a 5-3-2 we don't know and then that also probably means that Brian Smetzer and the Seattle Sounders don't know either so maybe there's a big surprise waiting for the Sounders on Sunday it should be pointed out that it was 1-0 at the end of the 90 minutes with both teams playing mostly their starting 11 so just like with the Corretro game where I think it would be easy for fans to to look at the final scoreline and be super upset. That game was effectively the Rapids going toe to toe with a Liga MX team, and then effectively Rapids to screwing the pooch against the bench for Caret to Gro. No bad things here. Effectively rotated lineup, bench lineups. Effectively, um, you had Philadelphia, you had Philadelphia Union's Open Cup team versus Colorado's Open Cup team, uh, being a three-one victory for Philly in 45 minutes. <clears throat> Mark, what do we think? Do we care? What can we gleam, if anything, from just the simple fact that we saw a starting lineup and Ralph Crizo was on it and maybe this formation was different?
0: I don't know. I take take as little as I possibly can because I think the hardest thing, I think I said this on an earlier show, so uh, like a couple weeks ago when we first talked about these, but um, if you see a lineup and then you have to imagine what it looks like, but you can't see it, um, it's really hard you know and i think i think the we can we can say like oh, this is definitely a four four three or this is a four three three or this is definitely a three four three or this is definitely a it but like we don't know like we don't know we don't know anything we we they they provide so little information that like we're starving out here um i mean i think it's important that they got a good battle in against a good team i thought it was really funny that i got like really excited uh last week where i was like "Ooh, they they beat miami and then i had to look closer again and be like oh right it's miami the miami fc of usl i this is not inter miami who are a crappy soccer team that locks reporters out of um attending events because they don't like the coverage that the reporters have given them because those reporters repeated verbatim things that their coaches said
2: on mic to
0: them, um, you know. The and, Athletic had people yes. that were blocked out of, <laughs>
2: for those of you who aren't in the loop or anything, Pablo Mauer and Felipe Cardenas were blocked out of training. Um, and they stand by their reporting, and I stand by their reporting, unless for some reason some quote was taken out of context, which it doesn't appear to be. boo boo, you... Crimea River.
0: If you ever lock, if you ever don't like my coverage and you lock me out of something, I will show up at your stadium with 12 other rabbis and a bunch of shofars and we will march around (laughs) screaming and chanting curses at you. We will slaughter a live goat in front of your stadium in the name of God and curse you to the ends of time. Do not mess with me and my people. I don't know what the
2: question was, Matt. Let's turn it over to Colorado Joe. Rapids comms team, you have been warned. I, <laughs> I, I, I just point just out they're wonderful. Rabbi, you're welcome anytime. We've had no issues. I like Omar. We, and, we've and had no true. issues they're, they're good. with Rapids press access in the last two, three years easily, COVID notwithstanding, which was obviously not their fault or anything. Um, Joe, what do we make of the lineup? Do we care? And Kevin Cabral getting, I believe, his second game and his first goal from the run of play for the Pids in preseason.
1: I'm going to echo everything Mark said about uh you know not being able to glean much about like tactically or how this team is playing right now and like you know we don't even know like we've seen the goals that the Rapids have scored across preseason but they don't show us the goals that they conceded we don't know if it was like you know a fluke a fluke uh, strike or you know an actual like indication of defensive frailty right Um, But one thing we do know from preseason, at least from the reports from the Rapids, is that a prominent uh, Colorado Rapids starter has not seen any minutes. um, And we don't know why. Um, So there are four players on the Rapids roster who have not seen any preseason minutes. Three are totally expected. Uh, One of them is Marco Illich, who just got signed after a preseason game. uh, After the last preseason game, I should say. Um, The one is Abubakar Keita, who we've mentioned is rehabbing from his ACL injury last season. And the third is another player who's rehabbing from an ACL injury last season in Dantuma Yaya Torre. The fourth player was a regular starter last season. Uh, Mr. Jonathan Lewis has been conspicuously missing um, from every Rapids preseason and Rapids 2 preseason match so far. What's up with that?
2: It's a good question, Joe. I'm trying to get answers right now. And by trying to get answers, it means I sent an email to somebody after 5 p.m. And they just haven't gotten to that email yet. I don't know that I'm super concerned about this because at least um, I, I we've all been putting out the lineup graphics and everything. And I've mostly had. Lewis backing up Cabral I think it's an interesting question what happens with the right wing position if the Rapids want to have a front three these lineups and maybe I'm completely off on here just based on guessing what I think from what I've heard and trying to fit in a lineup from the starting 11s that we've gotten the Rapids have looked more 3-5-2-ish in this preseason than in past preseasons especially in Orlando with the arrival of Andreas Maxu as well. And so I'm wondering if it's three five two then given the strength of depth that Robin Frazier has with almost a full Batman utility belt of midfielders who can do different things, that having Diego Rubio closer to goal in ways that we've seen him be effective as well, but then also a striker in front of him, a la Kai Kamara, a la Jossie's artist last year, that Kevin Cabral could be that, even though we've normally thought of him as a left winger. So if it's a if it's a front three, I think Cabral's on the left and I think Lewis is pretty clearly coming on as a bench substitute for that. And if it's a 3-5-2, I think it's pretty clear that it's Cabral and Lewis up top. And then again, it's a question what Lewis is doing from a super sub standpoint. I don't know that he plays on the right for me personally. So that's just I'm not concerned about it in that regard, Joe. But I think it's a really valid question of is this just a minor injury that hasn't necessarily been a problem? Or given that Lewis might be surplus and maybe the Rapids need to get an a national slot between now and Friday, that not having him play in a preseason game and then get injured would be viable for that but maybe i'm speculating rabbi
1: hashtag where's
0: lewis
2: (laughs) i was just gonna say we have negative two international slots by my count as it is but
0: they'll figure that out that they always do i know i no longer worry about the international slots um what i was gonna say was there is a world i really like what you said matt about a 5-3-2 as the possible setup i do want to point out that the 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 setup that you mentioned of Rubio underneath a Kai Kamara kind of like pounded home target striker um, is only one possibility. You can always have two guys parallel to each other. Um, Cabral. Last year, we saw a little bit of that when Lewis and Barrios lined up as kind of dual strikers in this kind of like whitish striker with um, Rubio playing either as a number 10 or a false nine. The other way to do this, which... Um, we haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, is awesome when you see it uh, is when Red Bull had uh, Bradley Wright Phillips as their striker and Tyrion Henry as their wide striker. They played basically like uh, a 4-4-2 diamond uh, or a four four two with like a four two two two, And Tyrion Henry kind of played as like a, dribbly left wing while Bradley Wright Phillips played centrally so and they kind of played off each other and they would kind of work in off each other and come close and come far and they would work a winger up on the far side and stuff like that They they figured out ways of making it kind of a bizarre total football unbalanced psycho drama kind of situation but like you can do weird things where you have someone central and someone else wide and you're not necessarily actually balanced and the chaos kind of plays into the whole thing. But then again, that's Thierry Henry and Bradley Wright Phillips. So maybe that's not duplicable.
1: I, I do have a general, like, something that's been weighing on my mind ahead of the season. Um, following the Maxu signing is sort of how this back line is going to pan out. Because on paper, um, Maxu looks like a Danny Wilson replacement. And I just I, I'm not entirely certain we see many like I, I'm not sure where Maxu and Wilson fit on the same three man backline because both of them seem to project as like that center ball playing defender with like two you know like with like a Bubakar and Rosenberry right as like outside center backs um, and one thing I'm I'm not entirely. I just don't really know what to expect with the Rapids defense this season, because it seems like the team is has been betting on Wilson for a while and still like has some level of faith in him as like that player. But I don't think you can play him as an outside uh, defender. So that's another thing I'm like really focused on this year is like how this back line actually operates, um, because I think we're going to see a lot of Keegan Rosenberry as like an outside center back um with like a guy like Sam Nicholson or a more attacking player playing the ostensibly wing back role. Um and I could be completely off base with that, but um that's another thing that's been kind of I'll be watching on the lineups for uh, the opening few weeks of the season.
2: That's a really good question joe i think if we if we look at like twenty twenty one when the team was really in a good rhythm, I'll say in the start of that summer, and there was a lot of competition where there was a little bit of rotation, but not like twenty guys that were getting involved. It was fifteen regular starters that you had, and maybe six or seven spots that you could have written in Sharpie week after week, jack Price, um La Abubakar, Michael Barrios on the right, for example, and for the at least the the trend that I saw there is the rapids would be four three three for the most part, at home there'd be an easy way for them to pivot to a back line. I remember that one nil win at Austin, where it was, I think Shinya Shiki with like a garbage goal and the team just held on and Austin crumbled because that's who they were at home that year. And then at home for the, when the Rapids are at home, it's more of a three, four, three. And I think that's where particularly if you want good passing out of the back, if you want to go full, like passing long distance stuff, you'd have Rosenberry, Maxu Wilson right to left. I think maybe a more balanced one would be Wilson, Maxu, and then, um, and then law Subbuva car, because then maybe Max has the passing ability that you still want and value, but he has the physicality that obviously you had and the athleticism that you had from Austin Trustee, but then leadership and maybe actually being a good one-v-one defender in ways that, as we've seen, Wilson and Abubakar are not always. That's what I'm thinking. I could be totally wrong, just like you could be totally wrong on Keegan Rosenberry. These are all really, really good questions, folks, as we mentioned last week, and I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. Speaking of, I I do want to say one time really quickly, Joe, you wrote a really good article um, summing up the new kit numbers we have obviously folks this coming march 1st uh the team will be having a kickoff party so if you care very much about what player's name and number you're getting on the back we have all of that with the exception of illich who i don't think is officially registered yet at time of recording because his visa stuff hasn't officially been cleared but we do have a few number changes cole bassett's gone from 26 instead of 23 and interestingly enough even though with uh Diego Rubio still on the team, and Kevin Cabral joining the team. There is no number ten and no number nine on the roster at time of recording right now, folks. So maybe Rapids players uh, have paid attention to the curse of the number ten, um, and we don't have a number nine. I guess that assume I, I have to assume that means we're signing Messi in the summer in order to make room for that space as well. Um, I'd want to think, and there's also no number one as well. So maybe Marco Illich takes that, given that William Yarbrough is still wearing his uh, traditional number. I have it right here, twenty two. So go check that out if you want the whole stuff. We're not gonna read the numbers out. That's better visually than it is auditorily on a podcast. But speaking of Marco Ellich, he joins the Colorado Rapids from Belgian side K V courtreich. So court like Courtney Ford and then Reich like you see in the German language and the Belgian language as well. Um, and so he is joining on a loan through the end of the month of June, and the Rapids have a purchase awesome up there. KVK is a club that is fighting in a relegation position in Belgium. Maybe he wants out. I'm not entirely sure. We'll figure that out. Um I do have I do have some like interesting like information. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Go ahead. Um, so basically the situation there is that uh Illich got an injury last season or toward, towards the end of the last calendar year. Um, and then when he sort of got he got healthy and came back and you know was ready to play, but in the interim, their backup basically took the starting job, um, whatever youngster it was. So Illich has been healthy. And this is where like things are a little bit confusing because there were some people when he was signed with Colorado who reported that he was still injured. And that does not appear to be the case uh, from what I understand. It seems like he got injured last season recovered, but lost his spot while he was injured. Um, And so that sort of created the situation where he is uh, back. He is unused on a team that is looks destined to be relegated this year. And, um they have more wages like he has a higher wage demand than their backup um so it kind of just makes sense to um move him on and so like that's kind of the situation that he was in which is why you know he's one of those classic distressed assets Um uh, one of those classic poured moves where he sees where he sees a player um that you know is just no longer needed or wanted at his current at his current stop and um You know, the Rapids springing in on a short term loan with an option to buy is is kind of interesting because it doesn't give them a lot of time to make a decision. But we saw last year that they've been willing to extend short term, shorter loans uh, with like players like Lucas Estevez. Um, So maybe something like that is in the works, Um, obviously, without knowing Illich's contract situation. That is something that we can only guess about right now.
2: Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I have to think, Joe, from from KVK's perspective on this, obviously by the time we get to the end of June when that loan's coming up, they'll obviously know already which division in Belgium they're playing in as well, and then maybe that clarifies things for them from a financial standpoint. And regardless of whether or not the Rapids do exercise on that, then that's clarity going into – july 1st for their transfer window for doing it so i mean it makes so much more sense folks for just all of these clubs that are in a position uh you know go making moves in the summer is just so much easier for them um grenoble in the second division of france are pretty stable and mid-table they they have an outside shot at getting into the playoffs for promotion but it's pretty unlikely. They're nowhere near the relegation battle whatsoever. It was pretty easy for them to move on for Gersh back at that moment given that he was out of contract in the summer and they could get a similar transfer fee. Bronby is still kind of in that battle, but if you look at the actual they they're, they're the, the Scandinavian leagues are weird folks in terms of how they divide the season out. So Bronby's going to go into the bottom half of the pool where they do another round robin in the second half of the season and play all the other bad teams to decide who gets relegated. And Bronby has a very good record against the other bad teams. So they're unlikely to get relegated. Similarly, Maxu has been a good uh, has been a good soldier for them. He was out of contract. The you know, numbers of, of fans and people who were on the team saying that there's no love lost by him departing the club. It was absolutely just a necessary thing. for them to do on this end mark we like chris sharpie we think he has a knack for picking up good goalkeepers we like the analytics on illich's passing out of the back and everything that being said alone with a possible transfer fee that i'm going to assume is probably decent on market value and an international roster spot talk me into why i should believe that this is a good move assuming that you know, the next Brad Stuver wasn't available, rotting on some bench elsewhere in MLS for 250 k in GAM right now. All right, I'll play the game. I'll play that game, Matt.
0: Um, the 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 reasons that you need to go get a goalkeeper of any kind is based on the article I wrote a couple weeks ago for Backpass doing the math on um, William Yarbrough, which That's indicates... Good, folks hey thanks joe um which indicates just and and the, the the problem that i that i have kind of like addressed which is this there's, there's not a great number there's not like it's easy and cheap and simplistic for me to say g minus xg which is the best number that we have on goalkeeping um indicates that he's not been he was not good last year but the problem with that number as i mentioned in the article is you can kind of point to the defense and say like oh the defense was bad maybe that spilled out on the goalkeeper more so than any other team. Generally teams that have a bad goalkeepers that have a bad G minus xG also have bad defenders in front of them, right? Like Tim had a bad year last year, Tim defense was also really bad. So was that Tim having a bad year or was it his defense? We won't really know. There are other no- numbers to look at, like basically kind of like old school, simplistic numbers, like save percentage, um, clean sheets, stuff like that. And by those metrics, though, also Yarborough not good. Um, and so it's really easy to basically look at Yarborough's numbers compared to all other goalkeepers in Major League Soccer and be like, Nah, you don't look like you're doing very well this year. Also, if you look at some of his basic unforced errors over the last two seasons, he hasn't looked super great. Um, and in addition to that, you look at what's sitting behind there. We have Adam Beaudry, who we talked about earlier on the show. Um, you have Abraham Rodriguez, who only got into one game last year um, when uh, Yarborough went down with a head injury. And um, the first the first thing the kid had to do was stop a penalty kick, which he didn't. The team was down one to nothing. Then he let in two more goals, which really probably weren't on him. But he's not you know, he didn't do great with Rapids, too. There's no indication that he's ready to be a number one MLS goalkeeper. So then the question is, you know, are you going to go domestic? And my assumption is that they went through all the tape and they talked to all the agents and they looked at all the players who were available and they said, you know, there's just nothing really here that impresses us. Let's pull the tape for these guys in Europe. Let's talk to the agents in Europe. Let's see who's available. And that's they, they came up with, you know, the guys who they came up with and Illich was the the best choice amongst that. Am I sold on Illich? I am not. Why would I be? I have not seen him. But um, he might be ready. He might be ready to go. And I am okay with uh, somebody either pushing Yarborough um, to try and prove himself as the number one goalkeeper or for Yarborough to either immediately or probably more likely in a few weeks cede the position to Illich. I think that the opening day goalkeeper is going to be Yarborough. I think the first, the second week, third week, and fourth week goalkeeper is going to be Yarborough. I think it's going to be a little while till we see Illich. Joe's Joe's making Joe's making moves indicating he thinks Illich is going to start soon. Um,
1: no, I think you're spot on with your perception of how this goalkeeper battle is going to go on. At the risk of of delving further into the weeds, which. I, 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 as a long-time listener of this show, I know uh, we these hosts are one to do. Um, there is uh, a stat that I like in evaluating goalkeepers a lot that's different than the one you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned G minus XG. I'm a big fan of PSXG minus ga um which is basically post shot expected goals minus goals allowed so the idea is that instead of just taking the xg of a shot you take the not just the position from where the shot was taken but how The quality of the shot as well um and i don't know like the full data behind like how they how they account for that but fb ref which is my go-to for this sort of stuff um has been hyping the the psxg minus ga train uh for quite some time and yarborough's minus 0.15 was in the 14th percentile of mls goalkeeper's last season that's bad um and so the idea like i said that that stat is designed to take into account not just the quality of the opportunity but the quality of the shot itself and is supposed to um is supposed to account for a bad defense now you can't you can't always do that so you know maybe his defense also the the rapids bad defense last year also has you know some bearing on this um but listen like i like as you said like there's he has, he has moments that have cost the Rapids games. Like look no further than the, the Rapids trip to Houston last year where he sent or, where his poor distribution gave the ball away in, in the final third to two speedy Houston attackers. And I believe Tyler Pasher, um, who who's no longer with Houston anymore. He he got, he got a goal just on it on a very quick counter um, from that poor distribution. And, the Rapids dropped two points there. And if the Rapids pick up those points and maybe Yarbrough saves that forty yard free kick from Dallas, I forget who, um, last year, maybe the Rapids don't uh go on to lose that game against Dallas and you know, maybe they make the playoffs.
0: Brandon Servania, who just got traded to Toronto. That was the forty yard uh from from FC mm-hmm. Dallas. And that
1: wasn't the only one he
0: conceded last year. There was that
1: one in Guatemala that was that was the goal that that effectively was the reason why the Rapids didn't progress in the Champions League. Um, so, like, I'm totally behind Pork Smith's decision to go out and look for another goalkeeper in this situation because you know Yarbrough's about to turn 34. He had they have one option year on his contract. You know, if if the domestic market isn't there, I I get it. I get it. I think it's I think it's a savvy move.
2: Um, especially with the loan to buy. So we'll see if it works. Yeah, and on top of that, guys, I think it's so Yarbrough got his first penalty save in MLS in the nil-nil draw against DC United last year that was the Christian Benteke week one that was nil-nil after they got shellacked by Nashville and Philly on that road trip and I can't remember it was either the 11th or the 13th penalty that Yarbrough faced outside of PKs obviously so we're not counting the five that he would have had you know against Camino in Champions League as well and that was his first save as well so I mean that's that's a decent enough sample size it was Joe correct me if I'm wrong I think it's slightly under 0.8 xg that they assigned to penalties last year so joe's nodding on that one folks so you know let's say you know so you're you're giving up eight out of ten let's say one of those you get the you know the the player actually shoots the ball wide and then one of them you actually save. if you're talking one in 11 one in 13 you know it backs up the fact it backs up the clearly large data set that we have that Yarbrough is a average to very below average shot stopper in mls where I think he's maybe done hard by on the analytics and the stats of someone who was in the stadium for the games during COVID. that did not have fans and everything. He was usually the second loudest person on the pitch between the two teams. The only other person that was louder than him was Jack Price. And sometimes Danny Wilson or Robin Frazier was in there as well. He is very good at reading opposing defenses and then communicating what needs to be commuted for communicated to structurally prevent, Little embers from becoming fiber friars, and I think that is that that's clearly his biggest value, and that's not something that's well accounted for in the analytics but Obviously, with the modern goalkeeper, you either need to be a fantastic shot stopper, you need to be taking goals off the board, or you need to be passing out of the back that is then facilitating the team in an attacking sense. And as Mark and, and Joe have both articulated, that's something that is his weakness. If Illich is an upgrade on at least two of those, I think it's a worthwhile experiment. And again, you know, maybe I'm going to talk to Chris Sharpie at, uh you know, at training in two weeks or anything, and he's going to, rave for five minutes uninterrupted about this guy and i'll be completely convinced that he's a million dollar goalkeeper
1: i have two final thoughts on on uh Yarbrough. I, I first i don't want anything that i've said to be to take away from the fact that yarbro should have won goalkeeper of the year in 2021 like i don't want to take that season away from him because he was exceptional that year um and like you know i, I just think i do genuinely think like he he was a good an incredible shot stopper that year um but like the 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 thing is he just oh yeah the the second thing i wanted to say is that um a lot of his best games last year came in matches where he where the rapids had no chance of winning even if he was literally the best goalkeeper in the world like the philly i think mark mentioned this in his article the philadelphia union 6-0 loss um the xg for philly in that game was like 10 plus um i mean the man stood on his head in that game and still gave up six goals. So like the, the, the other issue with the is that like, you know, he's, he's, he's really good at, or uh, he, he had some really great games last year, but it just didn't pan out in the ones that mattered in the games where the margins were important for the Rapids to make one vital stop, make one big say to like hold three points or hold a draw. He just wasn't, he just wasn't there. And, you know, when you start to see regression like that at his age, I think it makes sense to, um, to seek greener pastures as it were.
2: There's no further comments on that folks. Um, MLS has a new playoff format. Uh, it's long and it's confusing and it's not balanced. So let's, let's go through it here, folks. Um, nine teams, the top nine teams at each conference will make the playoffs. There effectively is a wild card game, winner take all eight seed versus nine seed with the eight seed hosting 90 minutes. And then penalties, there will be a lot of not extra time in these MLS cup playoffs folks. We then move on to a best of three round in which is eight teams in each of the two conferences. So effectively the round of 16 in your bracket. And within that, so obviously the highest seed and then eight or nine versus one and then everything else is as it is and is a best of three with the home team hosting games one and games three, 90 minutes and then penalties, no ties. So best of two in terms of winning, not in terms of actual like points accumulated or anything like that. And then after that, effectively, in what would be the quarterfinals, four teams left in each conference. It is straight one game, winner take all, higher seed hosts, uh, extra time, penalties and all of that. Um, guys, I don't, I do not like this format whatsoever. I think it is diluting the playoffs by having more playoff games um you know it's the there was an episode of the champions where they did like a multiverse series of if the super league actually happened <clears throat> and in this in the multiverse version Messi and Ronaldo said that they no longer cared who won el clasico because it was played every single week and therefore had lost every all of its meaning if you if you decide that playoff games are awesome therefore we should have a million playoff games if MLS cup does great And then therefore we should have an MLS cup final every single week. It loses its meaning. So I don't like that in adding more games. And if you really wanted more games to be had just from a TV revenue and everything, I don't know why you're doing one round best of three. The rest of them are all single game instead of just going back to the two legs and every single for what the four or five years that we've had single game off. It's just been absolutely crazy guys. You are both shaking your heads. Um, Joe, do you want to be the grumpy, the grumpy curmudgeon first on this?
1: I mean, to me, this just seems like this, this is a this is a obvious cash grab for the playoff teams that, you know, did not do not usually get a chance to host games. Um, so I'm sure the Rapids are very happy with this change, um, because the whole I think the whole idea is that you want to give every team who makes the playoffs, like who makes the proper like top seven, right, or top eight, I guess um, you want to give every team who makes that that round a like gate revenue from a playoff game. And I think that teams, that was like the biggest complaint from ownership um, and, and teams generally about the single elimination format for as, as well liked as it was with fans, you know, when the Rapids played in 2020 in the playoffs, right. They had that one and done playoff game in, in, in Minneapolis, right. Didn't get a home game. Um, and and, and and honestly as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter I think uh, I think my friend Ben um, if if we were given the chance to do the 2021 playoffs over again with a best of three you know every rapids fan would take that chance um, so you know there I, I, I wanted to really like this my biggest issue more than anything is that one just like the apparent nature of like the cash grab round one format? And B, just or I guess, or two, just uh, I think too many teams make the playoffs. I just, I just, I just think if a top uh, being ninth it should not be something to celebrate, like being an 18th or 17th best team in MLS, should uh, like just doesn't deserve going to to the playoffs like that's just my take like i just think it's watering down what it means to be a playoff team and i worry that there are teams who will who who will i guess paper over how poorly their team or season has gone by saying hey you know like we finished ninth but you know we made we finished ninth and and lost in the wild card round but hey we made the playoffs
2: yeah and that means
1: we are doing something right
2: yeah, 15 teams in the Eastern Conference, Joe. So what that's six teams that are missing out in the East and then in the 14 in the West, you're talking about five that are just missing out in the West as well. You know, if we look at even the other um, even the other leagues in America that have a playoff format, it's roughly it's 50 50. If I'm remembering the numbers right for the NBA and the NHL as well, you could have left this you could have left this at just eight and then just get rid of the home seed um, the, of the top seed getting a first round buy in that, and then go back to the two Lake series. If you really cared about every single team getting a revenue gate playoff game, even if it ends up being a, a first leg one in this, but yeah, I, the, the, the other thing from a competitive standpoint, Joe, um, I, I think it further diminishes the regular season, which unless you're an MLS sicko, like the three of us are like people watch the first couple of weeks. Cause Oh, it's MLS is back and I'm watching my European team in the summer. So then, you know, there's an opportunity here folks for me to watch 12 hours of soccer on Saturday, which I'm absolutely ecstatic about. But the other people, once you get to the summer and everything, it's like, I, I don't care. Let's get to the fall. And furthermore, I realize we don't have to worry about TV revenue anymore because of Apple TV and everything. But like the scheduling this in during the fixture congestion of the even if you have Apple TV and really care about it. Joe, if these things are on a Saturday. and It's Miami versus FSU. You saw what happened. when You hosted as well. If the Rapids are playing, uh, if the Rapids are playing a playoff game and it's Miami versus FSU also on that Saturday, you know which game I'm prioritizing in that. Um, you're creating more playoff games during the biz, one of the busier sports equinoxes in this country, in which MLS is clearly like third or fourth banana at best. Um, Rabbi, anything to add while I turn off the heater so our air quality, our, our air quality stays the same, but our audio quality improves? Pardon me.
0: I don't have too much to add. I mean, I think I agree with everything that was said. I, I'll add two separate notes. One is um, I'll be the old guy in, in the podcast, which is useful for our older listeners, our senior citizen listeners like myself. Folks, I'm 46 years old. But I uh, when I was 11 years old, the my home team, Los Angeles Dodgers, won the National League West. And that gave them the, the opportunity to play the team in the National League East for the National League championship in a seven-game series. And then they won that. And they went on to play the World Series against the American League champions, right? That's how it was back in pre-1990 in baseball right there were four playoff teams for whatever 28 teams in the league or 32 teams in the league and they played a lot of games and then it was and then we we moved on and there was people watched them people watched the games i think that's one of the things that's a little weird about the format which joe was kind of enunciating which is that like this idea that we need to provide a home game to as many teams as possible makes the regular season totally pointless. So my two favorite formats that I came up with that would be better than this, Never mind the idea of a best of three, which I'm not thrilled with. There are two alternatives to that, by the way. One of them is, um, home and home and away, uh, two leg series that Matt mentioned. The other one is groups, which I actually, you know, once it got mentioned a couple months ago as a possibility, they're going to have groups of three or groups of four. I was like, you know, that's kind of fun. I, I kind of would be up for a group, a group setup. Um, but um, leaving that aside, um, one format you could do is that the top six teams in each conference make the playoffs with like some kind of play in game or or two groups of three that play each other. And then the best teams go on, you know, to a a, a conference final and then a, and then a final. Um, and there's a way, depending on how you work it, that you get almost as many or more games than this. Um, the other option that I came up with, which I quite like, is a um, the top four teams in each conference um, qualify, and then the the next four teams, this the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth teams um, play themselves in to a group of three situations so that there's kind of like a, a one game knockout round, but there's also a higher tier, like four teams that kind of like the in the middle of the pack that have to you know fight tooth and nail to get into the real meat of the playoffs and then the four top qualifying teams in each conference um, go, go straight on. I just like these options where there's a real reward for having a good regular season either by having a bye or by having some sort of advantage or something like that into the playoffs. I absolutely hate a system where nine teams make the playoffs out of 14 in a conference. I mean... You're going to lose more games than you win and you make the playoffs. It's pretty ridiculous. And the NBA has been doing this for years, and it makes it really hard for me to respect, you know, the NBA. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, the Clippers would slide into that eighth spot by having, you know, a losing record by five games. And I'd be like, who cares? They're going to get blown out in the first round. They're terrible. This is pointless. Um, and pointless, this is no fun.
1: Yeah, I think it, the reason MLS didn't go for the group stage idea is because there's like a very strong chance that uh, teams play each other, or there's a team with like nothing left to play for, playing a team with everything to play for, um, or or two teams duking it out that have no chance yeah. of advancing whatsoever. That was the main criticism I um, I saw levied against it, and, and and I noticed that like as soon as like everybody started talking about that all of the people who were leaking the potential playoff, like all of a sudden the group stage idea just like completely disappeared. (laughs) As soon as people were like, Hey, what if, what if four and three play each other? And after losing their first uh, two games and you know, it's just a worth, it's a worthless game from Apple's perspective, I think, um, which at the end of the day, I think is like the driving factor. I I, I want to, I think you're right with your take on Twitter a few days ago. Where you you said something to the effect of, it sounds like Apple wanted a higher inventory of games, but there was no other way to get that higher inventory around the collective bargaining agreement.
2: Anything else do we want to say about the, I guess the one good thing we have here, folks, um, uh, Rabbi, you and I both picked the Rapids to finish at least seventh. I don't, Joe, do you want to pause it based on, were you expecting the Rapids to finish at least seventh? I picked them for ninth, which means they'll slide right
0: into that last spot. But the other thing that I'll say really last thing is that like the one good thing about this playoff format is it probably won't last. You know, it's probably it's probably the only season we're going to see it. My biggest frustration with it is just the randomness of having one best of three and then the rest of them be one game. Like that's that's the other thing that frustrates me. It's like, okay, I'd be fine with a best of three. If you did it a couple times, but you're only doing it for one round, and that makes it kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you're so. playing.
2: You're playing more games in the round of sixteen than you are. You'll play as many games in the round of sixteen as you will to ultimately get to MLS Cup. The
1: first three rounds all have different formats <laughs> <laughs> because the because the way the penalties work in the in the game, they all have, each round has a different format. It's crazy. I, I, this I've is never so MLS. Yeah. Oh oh I have you're gonna never have, seen anything like it before
0: you're gonna have announcers explaining what like what happens at the end of a game to to people like us who pay attention to every single detail and every single rule change, and we're gonna be me, you and matt are gonna me Joe, and Matt are gonna be sitting around at a playoff game and we're literally gonna turn to each other you know and be like happens. what happens now? I don't remember the rules are different than they were three games ago or three days ago and that's not ideal like you don't want to explain everything like as if you're breaking the fourth wall and you're doing uh uh, you know like you're trying to like fill in the listener on what happened last season on the
2: fly listeners this coming sunday February 26th, 2023, the Colorado Rapids will kick off their MLS season. They'll be playing at Seattle Sounders at Lumen Field in Seattle, Washington, where the sun does not shine. 6 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff there. And this is on Apple TV, folks. And on top of that, as we mentioned a few times in writing on Twitter, <clears throat> and on the podcast as well, this is be, this is not behind the paywall as well. So literally, all you have to do is have an Apple ID to log on to Apple TV, and you can watch this full free, or if you're one of the few millennials that still has cable, you can watch this on FS1. I don't know then if this game, I don't know then if you go to a bar, are you getting the Apple TV one or the FS1? I guess that's up to the um to the management at the establishment, which one they're prioritizing there, but in any case, you'll be able to watch. Um... Guys, I don't know what to make of this game because the Sounders obviously played in a played in their one and done um, Club World Cup game. Um, It was very unsuccessful and unlucky for their part. They're a relatively unchanged team from last year that obviously won Champions League, was the first Sounders team to ever miss out on the playoffs, but they had a bunch of injuries. They put all their chips in the CCL basket, and I think rightfully so. If the Rapids had missed the playoffs last year, folks, but had won CONCACAF Champions League, I don't think we would have been complaining about missing the playoffs in there. So they're a team that's back for a vengeance. They've got a lot of similar players and everything. They just extended Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris. They're obviously still very much an aging core with Ladero and Rui Diaz. On the wrong side of thirty as well, so valid questions in terms of that longevity next year, um, and they're without Garth Lagerwey at GM as well. So I think there's a valid question of what they're going to do in terms of making a move in the summer. But for purpose of this game, folks, um, the Rapids historically don't do well when they go to Lumen Field. Normally, they go into the game and get jobbed by the official. If we want to talk about that Lucas estevez red card in the three-one loss two years ago, now that was overturned, and then the crazy free kick retake that was 20 yards away from where it was supposed to be that then uh pro came out and apologized saying that they ultimately ended up getting it wrong as well um so the officiating might not be in the favor of the colorado rapids in this game as well and the rapids as maybe half of this conversation folks guys is what we think the lineup is going to be because i think there's a lot of valid questions rabbi you want to go first uh you want me to go with my lineup for the rapids Sure. And then just expect, do you have expectations on the game? It's the first week of MLS. Nobody knows anything. Can you posit anything, Mr. Pundit? Well, I'm
0: glad we're not starting at home because it's really cold. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's pretty common for the Rapids. They they usually give us the first week uh, away because it's going to be tough. This is a tough away game. This is a really tough away game. I've been, um, I've been to, it used to be the Clink when I was there, now Lumen Field. It's a tough game to play. It's a really tough first game of the season. I mean, Gorilla FC and the other big um, Emerald City. Emerald City? No, Emerald City is Portland, I forget. No, Seattle. Yeah, they're Seattle. Anyhow, they've got really great supporters culture. They will TIFO it up. They will be really, really loud. Um, it's a fairly huge home field advantage. And the Rapids were biblically awful last year on the road. Um, I don't think this is a great place to start on that. Um, we can talk about tactics. We could talk about lineups. But I think those are actually overwhelming factors. I think also the thing that you mentioned, Matt, was like this team was the Seattle Sounders were like two games away from playing Real Madrid for the global championship of soccer. For whatever it's worth. I mean, you know, the club, the FIFA club championship is kind of a silly game, but still, like, this is a team that, despite the fact that they didn't do very well in the MLS Cup league table last year, finishing, I believe, 11th uh, below the Colorado Rapids, they did win CCL championship for the first time in really modern history. Um, the Galaxy won in 2000, but it was a different cup back then. Seattle is a fantastic tremendous soccer team with depth and talent um they had players last year who didn't who were injured like Jao Paulo and um Raul Rui Diaz who are probably going to be back this year and doing really well and um they they were actually pretty decent without Jao Paulo and pretty decent without Raul Rui Diaz Rui Diaz who missed large swaths of the whole season Jao Paulo who was out for the second half of the season I don't know if either of them will really be ready to go in the first week. Um, I would expect Rui Diaz to be back, but I don't reports know about Paul. From, reports from Seattle's camp is that Rui Diaz is
1: likely to be questionable this weekend. Um, likely? Yeah. He, is, he, is, he is not. Well, the, the official injury report hasn't gone out. Yeah. Um, he has missed a handful of training sessions this week. Um, yeah. And Obed Vargas, who is the young Alaskan uh, tap to be like sort of the is the jaw Paulo uh heir apparent that Seattle uses when when Paulo can't go um, he I believe is also out for this game um, that's but uh, aside from that I believe Rusnak, who was uh in doubt is set to play uh, but Rui oh. Diaz is a big uh is a big question mark this weekend
2: uh, then we might be seeing a bear make his Sounders debut then on Sunday. Certainly possible there, and he has a pretty decent track record against the Colorado Rapids. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, so I guess I again the, previewing the first game of the season is always kind of a question mark, folks. And I guess so. Um, R- Rabbi, back to you to the original question: Your starting eleven formation front to back for the Rapids?
0: Yeah, I mean I would go with what I've basically been predicting all season. Well, all season uh, in the offseason for us, which is, um, you know, I think our our best formation will probably be a three, four, three, which can also just be called for what Matt was talking about before. Uh, like, uh, whatchamacallit, a three. Uh, what am I thinking? A five, three, a five, two, three is another way to say it. Um I would expect Yarbo to be in goal. I think our center backs are going to be Maxo, Abubakar, and probably... God, that's a good question. Who's the other one going to be? Um, I guess I would go with Danny Wilson as my third center back. Keegan Rosenberry on the right. um, Alex Gerstback on the left. uh, Mid-three of... um, Jack Price, Connor Rowan, and Cole Bassett with the possibility of Ralph Prizzo being there instead of Connor Rowan. Um, and then your starting front three would be Cabral, Jonathan Lewis, and in the middle would be um, Diego Rubio. That's, that's, my, that's my Occam's Razor simple guess. Um, anything different than that would be exciting. I would love to see Brian Galvan start on the left. I'm not expecting it. Um, I think it would be, you know, really a probably an advisable move to play Brian Acosta in the midfield a few times this year or a bunch this year because I have real worries about defensive midfield cover from the three guys that I mentioned. Um, although I don't know anything about whether Connor Rowan can play defensive or not. So um, those are some of my thoughts. But um, there are lots of there are lots of alternative possibilities that i'd also be okay with
1: i would be interested to see if if gersback actually starts his first game back um, because i think it's there's a very strong possibility that a lot of people or that, that that a lot of people like on twitter with like lineup predictions aren't remembering and that is stephen betashore played a lot uh, of fullback minutes last year and it would not shock me at all one bit if Frazier went for the guy he knew instead of the guy that just showed up to training two weeks ago, and there's no slight on Gerzbach, who, I mean, I haven't seen play, so I can't, you know, make a definitive judgment on, you know, how good of a player he is. But I just know Robin Fraser likes, he, he, he trusts, you know, the guys he trusts. And Betashore is just a guy, he, he knows he knows what he's going to get
0: every time, and he can play around that. The only objection to that, which I agree with 100%, Joe, the only objection to that is usually when you send a scout to Europe and you sit down with a guy and you say, we want to sign you, we want to bring you over to America, we want you to play for the Colorado Rapids, who I'm sure you've never heard of and are in flyover country of America. You know, parenthesis, people who live in Denver know that Colorado is awesome. Um, But one of the selling points you make to a player who's coming to a team and a league that they don't know anything about is you say, we will give you lots of minutes, right? Which if you then put that guy on the bench the first week, don't feel so good, right? They may they may not like that. But I agree with you, Joe. I think saying to Gersbach, like, you're not going to start in the first month. We'll work you into the lineup. Don't panic. I think that's a legitimate possibility. But I think an alternate possibility is they sent um, Chris Zitterbart to Europe and said, Tell them they'll play three thousand minutes and hand them a giant suitcase of cash and then show them a map of where Casa Bonita is. In all fairness, I don't think many Coloradans know
1: where Grenoble Foot thirty eight is. Um so um you know in in, in all fairness to <laughs> um people uh from flyover territory of all around the world, we don't we we don't always know. Uh are we you know we know where we live. Um but yeah, it would also be interesting to me. I like I think I think Betashore, Galvan and, and Gersbach are all reasonable uh players to put in that spot on your lineup. Um as for you know, your your back line, I, I think I'm I'm expecting Keegan Rosenberry, and maybe this is just a gut feeling, but I'm expecting him to play more right center back this year, assuming Fraser sticks to the three man back line. Um just because I think you know, even when when Rosenberry uh, plays uh, right uh, like fullback, he doesn't usually get that that far forward. And to be honest, as as one of Nicholson's greatest critics last year, the man actually did okay. I actually more than okay. I thought he did really solidly at his wing back in his few wingback starts at the end of the year. The games I'm thinking of are the ones against the two Texas teams, um, which he started right back in or right wingback, whatever. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see Nicholson get a lot of minutes at that position this year, because for me, he didn't cut it in the midfield or at winger. And I think he has like sort of that. He's sort of like the Estevez on the right, you could say, right? Like, I think Fraser really likes having one bombing wingback and one stay at home guy. And if he wants the bombing forward wingback to be on the right, I think he I think Nicholson is the most likely shot for that. And I think Galvan is the most likely bomb forward left wing back, right? Whereas Gersbach, from what I from what I hear, I, again, haven't seen him played. From what I hear, he's more of a, he's more closer to that, that Keegan Rosenberry mold. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I spoke to um, Alex Gersbach earlier this week, folks, hopefully going to feature that in a podcast later this week where I compile a bunch of interviews that we've been sitting on as well. Um, he was been in training a little over a week now at time of recording so that makes me think that he's not in when you as you compare it connor ronan and andreas maxu have been with the team almost the entirety in orlando and then kevin cabral obviously was with the team you know from day one as well so i'll I'll give my lineup and then joe feel free to critique um or say where you are in disagreement from me and Rabbi, I think it's going to be five, three, two against uh, against Seattle. I think on some level, Frazier's thinking, let's show them something that we didn't necessarily do on film last year. That's going to show them on that. So my back five, which I think as I'll talk in a minute, will e can easily switch to a back four from left to right. Beta, Wilson, Maxu, Rosenberry, Nicholson. I think the three-man midfields, maybe the one thing we're all going to agree on, Price, Bassett, Ronan. Oh, I've got Yarbrough and goal, if that wasn't obvious. And then up top, I've got Cabral and Rubio. And then depending on how the game's going or the game state, you could easily move Nicholson up into a right wing position turn cabral rubio into a front three midfield three stays the same and then you've got a back four rosenberry over on the right just shifting over a little bit and then beta coming back a little bit more that's why i would have rosenberry at a center back role over Lal sabubakar and why just as you said joe why i think nicholson fits into that position i think maybe brian galvan if you don't like him at times in the midfield could fit that role i don't know that there's another player on the rapids right now other than Sam Nicholson that you could easily flip back and forth between being a winger and a wing back between a four three three and a three five two five three two. I think Nicholson can do that. I think Galvon can become that once he officially gets over. Um, you know, I mean he hasn't been having to do any rehab or anything, you know, but clearly they've they they've been more pragmatic with him coming off of a major injury than I think they've had with some of the other players as well. But um Joe, your thoughts and then give us your lineup where you've got key differences or disagreements.
1: Yeah, you kind of, Matt, you kind of hit the nail on the head with um, what I was thinking this weekend in terms of the uh, two forwards, three midfielders, ostensibly three center backs, and then two guys that are just kind of on the wings. Um, I think that it's the the if 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 you go for Beta and Nicholson on the left and right, like I think you could easily switch that around, like you said, and make it like Galvan. On the left, you put Rosenberry in the ostensibly right wing back position, and and, and change a center back. Maybe even put like you know Betashore literally played like center back minutes um, in a few games last season. Um, or you know you bring in the you bring in Abubakar Wilson and Maxu um, to to play those spots. Um, but I do agree with you that I think the the five three two three five two whatever. Um, that's probably going to be, that's what I expect Frazier to do this weekend. But honestly, like with the way the Rapids play, we all know that Frazier designs these teams that are capable of switching up their look on the fly and responding to different, uh, game States. Um, like that's something he talks about all the time. So. I would not be surprised if the even if the rapids started in a three five two if that eventually tr- morphed into a four two three one or a four three three uh depending on the game situation but as, in terms of the 11 players you gave I think th- those are those are the ones I had on my draft for my game preview this weekend
2: I think the rapids lose this one uh guys do you fancy prediction in a score line uh I I'll go like two
0: one to seattle i i think this team the rapids can make a game of it and and put pressure on i don't think they should be expected to win this game i feel sad about kind of like being dour and and negative about the opening game of the season but i think you'd be insane as a pundit to look at one of the strongest teams in mls at home on a big televised game and think that the Scrappy underdog Colorado Rapids, who finished 10th last year, who are kind of in rebuilding mode and refocusing mode and refiguring it out mode, are going to come in and and light the place on fire. But uh, I'm really bad at punditry, and I get these wrong all the time. And I love it when I forecast that the Rapids to lose and they win. So you never know.
1: Yeah, I the, Ru, the Rui Diaz question kind of gets me here because... I'm not entirely confident in the Seattle team scoring goals after watching them in the Club World Cup. And I know that that was kind of unique situation where they didn't get a lot of like prep going into it. Um, But listen, like we saw the Rapids do a preseason international game or, you know, an international game that took place before the start of the regular season and then immediately lay an egg uh in their season opener that wouldn't shock me um but i do tend to agree with you guys that it's probably going to be a seattle dub um i would not be surprised um to see a rapids goal though um and which i know have been generally hard to come by at the clink now lumen um but yeah for me there's just too many questions about how this rapids team's like chemistry on the field is going to be with all the new additions and um playing in a hostile environment in their first game of the year like i i think it'd be foolish to expect a victory out of this um optimistically i could see a 1-1 draw um, but that's about as far as i can probably take the homerism in me uh for this game
2: I'll take a 1-1 one, one draw and bite all six of our collective arms off right now in order to get that here, folks. Um, Anything else you want to say or shall we get out of here, boys?
0: Uh, Well, we forgot to do our pitch to our listeners for why they should uh, support our work. And so I will do that now. Folks, we are supported by you, our loyal listeners, to this year podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids, driving out to training, flying to road games and interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs writing soccer articles for holding the Highline Substack, but we also love to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners as a thank you for our efforts. So if you can help us out by subscribing to our Substack, you can become a paid supporter, aka a Highliner, by putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year, a beer mug or stein design pending and some behind the paywall articles like the awesome interview that Matt did in the parking lot with a player in his car, uh, <laughs> that was only available to our subscribing listeners. You'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism and we appreciate it. You can do that at holding Matt, tell Matt to hit us on the socials, how to write to us, how to read our stuff on Twitter. And um how to like uh you know give a back slap and a two thumbs up to our uh junior associate uh Joseph Samuelson.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um also folks uh we we have upcoming uh there was a some preseason media availability for almost an hour with Robin Frazier. We'll be dropping that audio in full behind the paywall as well. And Rabbi, are you good given what you said pre? Uh, podcast for me to give you that audio and us to put that uh, do, do, if you want to hear what we venture about before we actually do the podcast and possibly hear rabbi say multiple times a word that starts with the letter f um we'll be providing that behind the paywall as well to you folks fire Let's- truck me and me and
0: joe got into a really great conversation about mid-90s action
2: films and why it was horrible and cringy and i'm glad it's over <laughs> listen why they follow us <laughs> on twitter at jspam, at lws matt pollard and at soccer underscore rabbi check out my and joe's writing on the rapids at burgundywave.com. you can email us at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com you can follow the podcast at rapids 96 podcast on twitter and send us your questions not related to crappy 90s movies about boy scouts and football players with firearms at using the hashtag ask hdhl uh listeners joe's not able to control himself right now so we're gonna end the recording now we'll see you next week